Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. What, what, what should I bring to you? You know, there's a lot of uh, families here. I can bring you some advice on how to keep your family together. I could give you a program of studies, communication exercises, Ways that you can talk with your spouse. I hear you saying this. I hear you saying this. You're an idiot. You're not. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's sort of tempting to just tell you everything I know about communication because uh, I know a lot about it. Yeah. Or maybe you have financial troubles, and, and uh, what I could bring to you is just a program to solve your financial problems. Um, it's not that hard, just live beneath your means, spend less than you take in, save for a rainy day, do all those things that you were taught as a child, and you'll be fine financially. And, uh, of course, I could dress it up with Bible verses from Proverbs and, you know, things like that and, and, and sort of baptize it, but it, I, could, I could give you a nice financial talk, and at the end of it, you'd have some, some nice guidelines for how to save money and get ready for retirement. Well, that one's not working so well, but... Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I know the theory of it. There's a lot of children floating around through this church and a lot of children associated with the families. And so maybe what you'd like is some guidelines on how to raise children. I, and, I, and I could give you some insight on what are the tasks, the psychological tasks for each age group of child. You know, an infant comes into the world, the first thing they have to figure out is, can I trust people? Are those big people, those big booming voices, those big hands that, that push me around and roll me around and every time I'm comfortable, pick me up and hand me to grandma and she has to jump, you know, jostle me up and down. You know, can I trust the big people in my life? That's the first thing that a child has to learn. And uh, I could give you the rest of that, you know, the, the process of individuation with the, with the adolescents, that when they reach the teenage years, they have to stop being a, 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 a person who is sort of subsumed under the personalities of mom and dad, have to step out on their own, reject the values of mom and dad, find values of their own, internalize, individualize the, the things they've been taught, the critical nature. I could, I could give that to you. You want that? Maybe you're upset about politics. Or maybe you think everything's fine. I have electron delusion, if that's the case. But you know, uh, but you know, we all have our political theories. We all have our political uh, ideas of, of the way the country should go and how, which party should do this or that or no party, and and uh, you know the the principles and what the Constitution means and what it doesn't mean, and and, and we could and we could talk a lot about that, and and uh, you know I can research that on on uh, Google as well as you can, and and then, so I could I could come up with stuff and quotes that would make me look really insightful. And, so that'd be good. Maybe what you need, maybe what you need is an interpretation of the culture around you. 
you know, someone to trace for you the slow decline of the arts, the slow decline of literature and, and, and the entertainment media, to just sort of map out for you how everything is just going to pieces and, and everything's just falling apart. Maybe that's what you, 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 you could really use because then when you go back to work tomorrow or, or, you're, or you're talking with your, your neighbors across the fence, then you could sound really erudite because I'd given you all this ammunition about, you know, why, why this kind of music is bad and that kind of music is good and, and all that, but, but then you can, you can watch Fox News too. <laughs> what should I bring you? Because I could give you, let us suppose, hypothetically, I could give you the greatest insights into human development, human wisdom, economics, politics, philosophy, entertainment, culture, morality. I could give you the greatest insights of the greatest teachers who, who, who are walking the, the, the face of the television today, and I, I could just give what they are saying to you. And, I, and, and if it were the, the height and the summit and the greatest wisdom at all, then anybody has to offer, offer it, it, it could be so great that the Washington Post likes it and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and the Wall Street Journal likes it at the same time and, you know, all the, the liberals, the conservatives, all, let's suppose I had all these answers that everybody would agree with me and we're all together because I've given you the greatest wisdom there ever was. And you walked out armed with this knowledge and armed with this insight and armed with this ability to understand what's going on in the world. What would I have given you? What would I have given you? Nothing. Nothing at all. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away your sins. That's my text this morning. It's Hebrews 10, verse 4. The blood of bulls and goats. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If you get nothing else out of the message this morning, take that with you, plant it in your mind and your heart that you're not going to put up with the blood of bulls and goats any longer. That that is not good enough. That is not sufficient, and that is not useful or helpful in how you live. Here's how we get there. Look at verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1. For since the law, wait a minute, the law you understand is good. The law we're talking about here is great. In fact, the law that's being talked about here is the absolute summit of the expression of human religion. The law was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was communicated to the people. It was preserved in the written Torah, read even today. We study it in our Old Testament. The law was given by God. And oh, what a gift of grace. For in the law, God said, here's how you can please God. Here's how you can live a righteous life. Here's how you can live in such a way that your life will begin to reflect the holiness of God. The law was given so that the people would know what God wanted them to do with their lives. He mapped it out for them. And not only that, in the law, he gave them a message 
mechanism whereby that broken relationship with God could be mended when they sinned against God. They had a sacrificial system. Go to the tabernacle, go to the temple, and there offer up the sacrifice mandated by God, and your sins would be covered by the substitution of the blood of the sacrifice. And as you offered that sacrifice, God said, I'll honor the faith behind it. And so in the law was demonstrated there God's grace to forgive us and you had a way to come back to the Father. The law is good. That's what we're talking about here. The best, the heights, the summit. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Instead of the true form of these realities. He says this law, as good as it is, this way of worshiping God, as marvelous as it is, this system of sacrifices that will take you into the presence of God, as great as that is, as gracious as that is, is nothing but a shadow. It's not even a two-dimensional picture. It's just the shadow. It's just the little silhouette. It's not the real thing. Maybe some of you do that. Do we still do this? Little primary kids, I remember this in church. I must have been four or five years old. And they sat us down on a little chair, and they, they had a bright spotlight, and our picture would, would shine, on, or, or our, uh, the shadow would be cast on a white piece of paper, and the teacher would, would cut out that shadow and then would take it and paste it, and so it was background, and give it to mom. Oh, that's wonderful. I've got the silhouette of the shadow of my son. Oh, what a sorry state of affairs. If mom takes that shadow, that silhouette, and says, oh, I love this silhouette. I love this shadow. Don't bother me, kid. I love this shadow, this silhouette. Oh, how marvelous. Kid, go away. You bug me. It's just a shadow. It's not the real thing. Appreciate the shadow. The shadow reminds you of the real thing. But the real thing, the real child, that's, that's the one you love. That's the one you pick up and hug. That's the one you cry over. That's the one you laugh over. That's the one that you hope for. Not the shadow, but the real thing. And so we read here in Hebrews that the law, the sacrifices given to us in the law, the grace of God expressed to us in the law is only a shadow. It reminds us of the real thing. It points us to the real thing. But it is not the real thing. Because had it been the real thing, you would have gone to the tabernacle. You would have offered a sacrifice for your sins. And when you left, your sins would have been forgiven. John, once for all. Once for all. Once for all. But as it was, when you came to the tabernacle, you offered your sins for that, that sacrifice for your sins that day. And you went home and things were fine. But before you got through the evening, you knew you had to go back the next day. And you'd go back again and you'd offer an offering for the, for the sins again. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot, cannot forgive sins. Every time you walked into that tabernacle, you were reminded of your sinful estate giving glory and praise to God for the grace of the sacrifices, but reminded day after day, year after year, that there still needs to be a sacrifice for sins. So this shadow, this law, is not the real thing. 
Now, folks, if the law of God, the law of God given to Moses on Sinai, if that law is only a shadow, what are we going to say about all the self-help books that are on the bookshelves today? What are we going to say about all those happy talk lectures that pass as sermons? What are we going to say about all that sort of encouragement? You can be the best you want to be. Why just buck up? Why just don't settle for less? Why just surround yourself with successful people? Why think your way to success? Why change your attitude and all will be well? What do we think of that? It's not even a shadow. There's nothing to it. It's vacuous and vain. And so as an Israelite, you brought the blood of bulls and goats according to the law, and you offered it to God as a substitute. The blood poured out as a substitute for your own life. You did that again and again. But that was just a shadow because the blood of bulls and goats cannot, cannot take away your sins. Here's what I want you to do this, all this next week. I want you to realize how often you've been relying on the blood of bulls and goats. I want you to think about how often you thought that some a person had all the answers. They might have been a smart person. They might have been an accomplished person. They might have had all the success that you envy. But I want you to think about that and see when you're saying, oh, I wish I was like that person. How can I do what they did? How can I emulate them? Understand that the blood of that bull and that goat cannot save you and cannot take away your sins. Oh, when you give in to the, to the lies of the world that says, you know, in order to be happy and well-rounded, you've, you've got to do this and this and this. Or you've got to listen to this kind of music or you've got to dress a certain way or you've got to have your kids in certain activities. They've got to play so many sports. And, and you know, sometime when you're, when you're sitting in the stands, now I want to know why the stands are called stands if you sit in them. But the next time you're, you're sitting in the stands watching that soccer game and your, your kid's wandering over the field and you're just praying to God that that she actually kicks the ball rather than, you know, picking up a flower and looking at it. <laughs> Ask yourself, why am I spending so much time on the blood of bulls and goats? As important as this is, it is nothing. You cannot take away sins. So ask yourself, you know, why am I still, why am I still buying in to things that don't satisfy? Because if the law couldn't, nothing else can either. Let's keep reading. Verse 1. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And that word perfect, as you know in, in the New Testament, that word perfect means able to fulfill your purpose able to do what God designed you to do. Now look, it's not that, oh, God, God designed you to be a tremendous nuclear power plant engineer and he, he, he designed you to, no, God designed you for his glory. Amen. 
God designed you to give him praise and honor. God designed you to adore him. God designed you to love him with, without any hindrance at all. That's, how God, that's what God designed you for. And if you were ever going to be perfect, it would be not that you measured up to somebody's standard and, and, and level of, of point keeping, but rather perfection means that you were honoring, glorifying God. And then you're giving him the praise with your life. And the Old Testament sacrifices repeated again and again and again and again could not perfect the one who engaged because these, those sacrifices could not cleanse the heart, cleanse the mind, cleanse the conscience and make you perfect in adoring and worshiping God. If he says that about the law, how much more the bulls and goats that we have in our lives I want you to skip down to verse 4 because that's our text for this morning. It's impossible. He doesn't say it's unlikely. He doesn't say that, well, uh, it, it, it sort of does it, but, uh, you know, sometimes it needs help. He doesn't say occasionally. He says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to save you. It's impossible for these things to make you perfect before God. Absolutely impossible. Now, where do we go from there? I remind you why we're reading this book. I remind you why Hebrews was written for Christian believers. It was back in, a, in, in, in the opening pages of church history where folks had come to Christ and said, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's Savior. He died for my sins. And with that joy of salvation, they walked out of the church and the community started to dump on them. The community started to persecute. The community started to ostracize you. The community started to, to boycott your business. Before you knew it, you'd lost your job. Before you knew it, you'd lost your home. Before you knew it, you'd lost your friends. Before you knew it, you'd lost any stature you'd had in, in your community. Before you knew it, you were on the outside looking in because the people you lived with, that pagan city you lived in, couldn't abide Christians. Now, Jews were another story. Jews were funny, but they were okay. We'd learned to live with the Jews. They did these odd things like worship only one God, you know, and they always took one day off every week. That's silly. But we learned to accommodate the Jews, and so we gave them a pass. They, they are a legal religion, but these Christians we can't abide. So now you're a Christian believer, and you go to church, and as a result, you're being persecuted, and you're thinking to yourself, well, why not just go back to the synagogue? I'll worship the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll read the same Old Testament scriptures. I'll pray to the same God. And it, it, it looks so much the same, and these people will leave me alone. And so Hebrews is written saying, look, if you go back, there's nothing to go back to. You can't compromise the gospel and go back to the old covenant sacrifices and go back to the old covenant uh, rituals. You can't return to that because there's nothing there. It's only a shadow. It was pointing to a greater reality, and that reality is Christ. We have been seeing these last several weeks as we've read through uh, chapters 7, 8, and 9 that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament worship was about. That Jesus Christ is not some animal sacrifice whose imperfect blood is poured out as a symbol, but rather the blood of Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice which alone can be the substitute 
for our lives. Alone be the substitute for us that we might for be forgiven of our sins. It is Jesus Christ alone. He says, and, and so Jesus Christ, he's our high priest. He's a unique high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we looked at that. He's a high priest who offers up his own blood. You can't, you can't give your own blood for your own sins. Your blood is tainted. It's, it's, it's blemished. You don't offer a blemished sacrifice to God. But Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, can offer his life for us. He can die in our place, and he has done so. But when Jesus Christ died for us, <laughs> the beautiful words, once for all, never to be repeated. Once for all. No need for an appendix, no need for an addendum, no need for an extra chapter, no need for some further development. Jesus Christ has died for our sins, and when he died for our sins, they are forgiven once and for all. That's the reality. That's the truth. That is the unchanging reality of heaven, that Jesus Christ has died for us and now enters into the courts of heaven enters into everything that the Old Testament tabernacle represented. He now is in the reality of that, and he brings us in by his shed blood for us. See, the blood of bulls and goats can't save you, cannot take away the sins. Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ has died for us. And so when you're looking around your life and you see all the bulls and goats that you're trusting and you see all the bulls and goats that you think can give their blood for you, you're seeing things that they might be good and they might be noble, they might, they might help you function in society. You know, God, God is the God of all truth and that, that's fine. But when you're looking at the blood of bulls and goats, keep looking up until you see Jesus. And he is the only sacrifice for us. What do we do about it? Look at verse uh, 19. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, uh, that word there's boldness. You might have a translation that says boldness. Um, the Greek word, parousia. Uh, it, it, here's the picture. You're walking up to the gate, gate of the, to the throne room of God, and you're just walking in. Who's on the other side of that gate? The holy, righteous God who cannot abide sin. The perfect God who cannot abide imperfection. The wondrous God who cannot abide the, the ugliness of what we have done with our lives. The God who has the right to demand that we measure up to his perfection. And to walk into the presence of such a God is to walk into certain death for he cannot abide sin. But we walk in boldly. The angel at the gate says, who let you in? We point to Jesus and we say, I'm with him. Amen. And we walk in boldly, confidently, without hesitation. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we have done, but solely because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. That's what he means. Since we have, since we have, is that what he says? Brothers, since we have confidence and boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We talked about that last week, didn't we? By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. 
Jesus died on the cross. That, that, that curtain that stood between the holy place and the holy of holies, that curtain that said basically you can't come into the presence of God, that curtain torn from top to bottom. Scripture here says that's his flesh being broken. And now through the broken body of Jesus Christ, we walk into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. That's what's given to us. Okay, so by the new and living way that he opened up by the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, a priest like no other, since we have Jesus, folks, why do you want a bull or a goat? Doesn't it just seem sort of silly right now? Why would you put your trust in the blood of bulls and goats? Since we have such a high priest, let's do these three things. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to him. So, you know, sometimes I don't feel like praying. Draw near to him anyway. Sometimes I don't feel like things are going quite right, and, I, and I, you know, I'm just tired and exhausted. Draw near to him. Say, sometimes, you know, I, I know I've stumbled and I've failed, and I know my life is, 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 is a far piece distant from where God wants me to be. Draw to him near, draw near to him anyway. Let us draw near, not because of who we are, but because we have a high priest who has sprinkled us, who has cleansed the body and has cleansed the conscience. Now, that word conscience, by the way, in the New Testament, it's worth a study. The conscience, we think of conscience as that which tells you what's right and wrong. Actually, the conscience is that which is supposed to tell you what's right and wrong. The conscience is the place in which you know yourself and think about yourself and know who you really are. The problem is our conscience is distorted. It is twisted by our sin, you know. There are people who are beheading other human beings today with a clear conscience. There are people who sell drugs with a clear conscience. There are people who take the lives of young babies with a clear conscience. There are people who enslave others and, and take them around the world for, for all kinds of evil purposes, and they have a clear conscience, but they have an evil conscience. But oh, the blood of Jesus Christ that has sprinkled us and cleansed us and given us a good conscience. Not that we're so great now, we can figure it out, but because the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our sin and moves us towards the righteousness of Christ. We have a clear conscience not because we figured it out and now we know. We have a clear conscience because God knows and he leads us and guides us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let us draw near to God. Let's be done with the blood of bulls and goats. Let's be done with the secular thought. Let's be done with the world's opinions. Let us draw near to God through Jesus Christ. Let us draw near to him. Secondly, verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. If, if you're reading King James, it might be, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Um, the meaning will be the same. Let's hold on. Let's hold on to Christ. Hold on to our confession. See, uh, moms and dads, you got a little one in your house. You want all kinds of things for this little one. You want her to be happy. 
You want her to be fulfilled. You, 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 you want her to be successful. You want her to be able to relate to other people. You want her to be articulate. You want her to be, be accomplished. You want her to be self-assured. You want all these things for her. But the greatest burden of your heart has got to be this. I want my child to know Jesus Christ and love him with all her heart. I want her to be so in love with Jesus that the love of the world has no appeal to her. I want her to love Jesus so much that she's not impressed with what the world says she needs in a husband. I want her to love Jesus so much that she wants a husband in her life who looks just like Jesus. I want her to love Jesus so much that when she goes about her life, her only question is, how can I love Jesus and honor him and serve him with what I'm doing today? That's what I want for her. That's the burden. That's the burden. Let us hold fast this confession of our hope. Let us hold fast to it. Let's not give up. Let's not turn back. Let's not act as though the, the things of the world can compete with the things of God at all. It just doesn't make sense to give up Christ for the sake of bulls and goats. Let's hold fast our confession. And then thirdly, Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up, that word stir up, uh, does your translation say provoke if, if you grew up with the King James? Let's provoke each other. You know what provoking is? I grew up in a house with three boys, had two brothers, and if we were in one room, mom would call out, what are you doing in there? We always yelled back, we are provoking one another. Well, no, we said nothing, but nothing is a Greek word that means provoking one another. <laughs> you know, let's stir one another up. Let's prod each other to love more. Let's prod each other to the good works, not that earn salvation, but give, that give thanksgiving to God for salvation. Let's prod one another into love and good works, not so that we can say we have, a, we have somehow earned the grace of God, but let's prod one another to love and good works so that we might have in those works a mission, an evangelistic mission of sharing the love of Christ and the goodness of Christ with others. Let us prod one another into those kind of good works. Let's encourage each other. You know, and if my brother is getting weak one day and he's exhausted and he's stumbling and he's just, it's just not working out for him, man, I'm not going to go to him anymore. I'm not going to go to him and say, you know, you're slacker, you're, you're, you're falling down on the job and I'm just disappointed in, with you and look at you, you'll never amount to nothing. No, I'm going to go up to that brother and I'm going to put my arm around him and I'm going to say, Jesus Christ loves you and I love you and the blood of Jesus will pick you up from where you are and put you back where you need to be. We're going to provoke each other to loving good works. We're going to provoke one another. What else are we going to do? Uh-oh. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Go to church, okay? Now, look, we just said, you know, church isn't going to save you, and, you know, and, you know, carrying around a big leather Bible, even with study notes, isn't going to save you. But we need each other. 
You know, I need the spirit of Christ that inhabits your heart. I, I need the wisdom that God gives you in life to, to just sort of speak to my heart. There are times when I'm the guy who stumbled and I'm the guy who falls, and I need, I need a brother, I need a sister to come and to lift me up and tell me about the love of Jesus one more time. Sometimes I'm confused and doubtful, and, and I just don't know where I'm going to go in life, and I need somebody to just say, look at Jesus, how wonderful and beautiful he is. I need you guys. Not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together as is the custom of some. Oh, I hear it. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. I don't think you have to go to church to believe in God. That's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You just have to go to church to be obedient. Bible commands it. Oh, I can't find a church I like. That's, that's fine. They probably don't like you either. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God has a place for you. You walk into a church, you keep your eyes on Christ. What's going on with the people won't bother you so much. Not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. Well, you know, Pastor, I, I can worship God anywhere. Really? I didn't know that. I thought I had to come to church to worship. <laughs> wow, I wish they told me that in seminary. <laughs> Do you know what it's like when people come up and tell me things like that? Well, I think prayer is talking to God. Whoa! <laughs> I think you can worship God anywhere. I gotta write that down. That's good. <laughs> I think I can worship God on the golf course. No, you can't. Not the way you play. Okay? Why would you go back to the blood of bulls and goats? Why not assemble together? Why not assemble together and come together where the Spirit of God moves our hearts and our worship together is multiplied and magnified. Why not come together? Okay, so because we have this high priest, let's get together. Let's provoke one another to love and to good works. Let's provoke one another to gather together and worship together and fellowship together in our lives as we walk the journey of life together. But encouraging, the last part, verse 24, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's encourage each other. Let's lift each other up. So, folks, why? Why would you go back to bulls and goats? Seems kind of silly now, doesn't it? And you got the wonder and the beauty of Christ, and you got the magnificent majesty of the grace of God. Why would you go back to the blood of bulls and goats? And that's the best thing you can go back to. Too many of us are going back to something even less than a bull and a goat. When we have a great high priest who's opened the way into the throne room of God's grace, and because we have this priest, we walk in boldly because we belong there by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, as 
frail and limited and as weak as we are, we so often take our eyes off Christ. So often we become enthralled with the glitter and the glamour of the world. Too often we become impressed with the wisdom of man. Father, I pray today for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon your people to bring upon us a conviction where we have gone astray, to bring us to confession that we would acknowledge Christ as Lord. And Father, bring us to that commitment that our lives would be lived for him, belonging to him. Father, I pray for those in this room. Pray for young families. I pray for those who are, who are doubtful. Father, only your Holy Spirit can work a marvelous work of grace in these coming moments. Let your Spirit descend upon us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.